Paul Benz was just too good last week. He was our expert witness here, a political strategist and pollster with Arizona High Ground. Uh, We hardly scratched the surface of what's going on with our politics, so he's back this week. From KTAR News, this is The Think Tank, hosted by Dr. Mike O'Neill. Hey, Paul, thanks for coming back. Uh, we, You know, I had an agenda last week of a full page of stuff I want to go. I got about a quarter of the way through, and we, we were hardly scratching the surface. Let us continue with issues that are liable to uh, come up in uh, the 2024 election. What about, uh, we, we hit a little bit on this, uh, electoral reform. You know, on one side, there's concern about voter suppression and illegal voting, I think largely non-existent or certainly not widely. On the other hand, uh, other people are claiming that, you know, these are, well, people are stealing our elections. Sure. Yeah. Well, Illegals voting by the millions. Uh, I think one of the biggest observations, as was pointed out last week, is that we've had early voting or vote by mail in the state of Arizona for over 30 years. It's incredibly popular. More than three quarters of the electorate generally use it. Uh, in our off-cycle elections, we do all vote by mail. It's incredibly secure. It's been well run. We have some of the best run elections in the country. And uh, people use it quite a bit. And paper ballots, by the way. Exactly. That's one of the things other people are saying they should have. We have paper ballots. Now, of course, we use machines to count them because you, you, could, <laughs> you could spend years counting these things by hand. But, but Republicans had perfected it. For more than 20 years, Republicans were by far better at using early voting, had mm-hmm. really tapped into their electorate, concentrated them, got them organized, got them to return mm-hmm. their ballots early. Over the last three cycles or so, basically since 2018 on, Democrats have caught up to Republicans. Well, that's in part. Donald Trump told people in 2016, don't vote early. So, well, and so now <laughs> Democrats have become much more proficient at it. They do a much better job at it. And in fact, in some ways have really surpassed Republicans. And now Rep- Republicans mm-hmm. want to call fraud on it. And so the, what we're really seeing is um, efforts to anything to suppress uh, voting or make voting rights or make it more difficult to vote are, are incredibly unpopular, especially the notion of getting rid of early voting. Mm-hmm. That a, a single election day, that would not be go over well with the overall Because that electorate. hits home with people all across. Republicans, Democrat, live in city, out of city, everywhere. We've gotten into the habit of slipping something into the mail. It's in your taking something and all of a sudden going to make it harder. That's a hard sell. The other election reform that I think will be likely on the ballot is the Make It Fair initiative, which is going to change the way the primaries are conducted. Because right now, as we know, um, a third of our electorate independents are not treated fairly in our election system. They are forced to choose either a Republican or a Democratic primary, and they can't choose both. So you couldn't vote for the race for governor for a Republican and the race for Democrat in the primary for a Democrat. And they're also banned from participating in the presidential preference election. Like our municipal elections, that where everybody competes on the same ballot, there's a proposal underway that's being worked on that would make that a reality, where everyone would compete on the same ballot with the same signature requirements, and then a number of those who had the highest votes would go on to a general election. And, and I think the analogy to local elections is, is one that communicates, because it's really that system. Everybody's on the ballot. Everybody can vote. Right. right. And, and 
we've done it for years in most municipalities. They have a single open election, and then the highest vote getters compete for a general election. And so it's a similar proposal to that because right now, based on the way our districts are done, and I know we're likely to talk a little bit about swing districts, but basically 25 out of 30 of Arizona's legislative districts lean either Republican or Democrat. And so in a re- big way such that it's almost impossible for the lower party to win. So the elections are defined or determined almost exclusively in the primary, because if you win the Republican or Democratic primary, you're pretty much guaranteed a seat in the legislature. And, and you win the primary by being the most extreme candidate in whichever party that is. It rewards the highest amount of partisan mm-hmm. partisanship. And you're talking about about 25 percent, 30 percent of the overall electorate mm-hmm. turns out in that. It, it's split. Let's, it's not quite even, but it's split. So you're really talking about 15 percent of the electorates determining 80 mm-hmm. percent of the outcomes, either in a Republican mm-hmm. primary or a Democratic primary. So we're really representing a small fringe element. And that's mm-hmm. why you see these issues on both sides, identity mm-hmm. politics, uh, immigration issues, uh, some of these other issues that really drive that aren't they're outside the mainstream, but they're really aimed at primary voters. And so the only way we solve that and create people who actually have a motivation to work together is changing the election system. And one of the things that does in 25 of our 30 district, it takes somebody who goes to the public and says, you know, I'm going to work with the other party. Heaven forbid, right? (laughs) That's death in a Democratic or a Republican primary. 30 years ago, if you looked at the cooperation at, say, in Mm -hmm. Congress, you saw a lot of bipartisanism. You saw a lot of red lines and blue lines intersect where people were willing to work together. Mm -hmm. Over the last 30 years, and particularly in the last 10, it's almost like a cell dividing, where you Mm -hmm. see the red and the blue completely extricate themselves from one another because bipartisanship is not only discouraged, but it's demonized. And so you look at somebody like Kirsten Sinema, who's been able to be very successful in trying to find bipartisan efforts and bring home the bacon for Arizona, as Bob Robb likes to say. Um, she has really been able to cross the aisle, but she's been demonized by her own party for doing that. And that's why she ultimately left the party. But we don't see that uh, bipartisanship anymore. And that has to do with the fact that most of our candidates are elected in a primary where very few people vote. So there's very little motivation for them to appeal to a broader electorate. So right now, the implication of what you said is that uh, who controls the legislature is entirely going to be determined by those five districts. That's correct. So let's talk about what are those districts, who's in them, what do they look like? So uh, Arizona traditionally has five swing districts, which are considered uh, highly competitive by the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission. Mm -hmm. Most of them are in uh, the valley here. So, um, And they really kind of run north and south on the 101 corridor. Uh, LD2 is in North Phoenix and Deer Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, LD4 is Paradise Valley and North Scottsdale. LD9 is west and central Mesa, sort of near the Tempe border. Mm -hmm. And then LD13 is into central and southern Chandler and part of Sun Lakes. Mm. Who's in there now? Uh, Who are the incumbents? uh, So the incumbents in LD2 in the North Phoenix district is Schwiebert and Wilmeth. So they have a split Mm -hmm. House delegation. And then Shauna Bollock was recently appointed to replace Steve Kaiser. All right. That Democrats are looking at that one as a place where so, this and that's already a split district. They've elected a, a, a Democrat and two Republicans. Mark Kelly won that district by six points. Katie Hobbs won it by by four points. So mm-hmm. having a Republican senator in that race, particularly now appointed mm-hmm. one that has a history of. of Challenging election issues is going to be a very uh, focused and targeted mm-hmm. race, I think, for Democrats to and look b- for. By a the way, just to interject, the the uh, uh, 
context of this is that the Republicans have a one vote majority in each house. That's right. So if you talk about winning a seat in the legislature that's held by the other party, that's huge. Right. Right now it's 16 to 14 and 31 to 29, mm-hmm. the House and the, Sen- the Senate and the House. So we're really looking at these. And these are the mm-hmm. areas that have changed over the last mm-hmm. 10 years, and they're going to continue to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, LD4 is another one. That's the Paradise, Paradise Valley, Valley, North Scottsdale. That is a Republican participation advantage, but these are swing Republicans that voted for Mark Kelly by seven points, Katie Hobbs by four points, and Adrian Fontes the, by nine these points. These are not Trump Republicans. These are not. And these are these are uh, business, Republican business. This is the country club uh, segment of the Republican Party. And so they have, they have again, a split delega- delegation, Gress and Tarek. So they've got a Republican mm-hmm. and Democrat, but they have a Democratic senator. Mm-hmm. I suspect that Democrats will look to try to take the other House seat. This mm-hmm. one is, Matt Gress has proven to be a very formidable candidate, mm-hmm. very competitive. But over time, this one will definitely go Democratic over time. The one that Republicans are looking for the pickup. So I've talked about two Democratic mm-hmm. pickups so far. Republicans think that they have a shot in LD9, which is a, a Mesa base because it's in the West Mesa, right? Yeah, it's a West and Central Mesa-based district. It has three Democrats represented. Was that that was that one for a while? It was probably uh, Russell Pierce and then Jerry Lewis, that, right? That is correct. And then more recently, mm-hmm. part of it was Rusty Bowers and mm-hmm. others until it was until part of that district was mm-hmm. moved further east. Mm-hmm. But the result is it again is a more progressive leaning area. You had Mark Kelly won that by twelve points. Katie Hobbs won it by eight, and Adrian Fontes won it by fourteen points. Mm-hmm. Republicans think that they can win that race. This last time mm-hmm. around, they put three very, very conservative candidates in that race, and the Democrats won handily. Mm-hmm. Um, they It's technically a swing district, but it's a democratically leaning mm-hmm. swing district. So that's LD9. LD13 is the one that I think a lot of eyes are on. It's South Chandler. It's a high wage, high income, you know, Intel nearby, mm-hmm. everything else. It's got a split de- delegation with Jennifer Pollack. And um, this is where Liz Harris was, mm-hmm. the legislator who was removed for right. the allegations that she made against uh, the elections and others mm-hmm. and, and was asked, asked to resign, uh, replaced by Willoughby. Who so has not been a- elected but appointed. Mm-hmm. And then you've got J.D. Mesnard as the senator in that seat. This is so the it's w- a split. It's a split electorate right now. Again, yep. and yep. it's be, it's been for several. I remember years. when Jennifer Pollack won that. It was a big surprise because that was a Republican bastion. Yes, and I think that probably reflected a great effort her on her part, but also underlying slow demographic shifts in a democratic direction. She was the highest vote getter in this last election. Mm-hmm. However, she has announced that she's not going to seek re-election. Mm-hmm. So the power of income. So this is going to be a wide open race. Mm-hmm. So this might determine if you want to sound smart and talk about what mm-hmm. the, the the future this of the legislature. This is LD thirteen. Um, other districts to note, though, that I think are of importance. You've got. LD-17, which is a North Tucson district, this is not a swing district. It's a traditionally Republican district, but this is where Justine Wadsack is in the Senate. And mm-hmm. uh, Wadsack won narrowly only by about 3,000 votes, which was a big surprise. It was one of the smaller margins in the race. You saw the Republican Party just named her freshman legislator of the year, rec- that, which is an indication that they know she might be vulnerable. They, they, they want to give her, they want to give her a pat on the back, make it look good. So Mark Kelly won that r- district by five points, but Katie mm-hmm. Hobbs only won it by 0.3. So it is a Republican-leaning district. Um, That is one that you could see a Democratic upset, depending Mm -hmm. on who they nominate. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one that I think Republicans really need to hold on to if they think they're going to hold on Mm -hmm. to the Senate. But um, that's one to watch. 
LD16, which is Pinal County, it is a Republican-leaning district. Uh, Keith Seaman is a Democrat in that district. He won a surprising second place in that race over a more conservative-leaning Republican. I think Republicans— They want that back. They want that back. And that mm-hmm. one will be uh, leaning over time. That one's going to get redder over time, where we mm-hmm. talk about some of these other races are going to go—other districts yeah. will go bluer. That one will go redder. That's one of the things, if you look at congressional districts, that you looked at the map. Uh, from redistricting, and you said, this is a very Republican map, right? but the changes over the next 10 years will favor the Democrats, because a couple of those seats that are lean Republican are going to become toss-ups. In the 2010 realignment, that was Congressional mm-hmm. District 9, which was the uh, Central Phoenix one. Mm-hmm. That one was considered competitive. It went blue over time. Yep. I think the same thing in this current iteration, Schweikert's Schweikert District State. and District yep. 1. That is a red district now that will go blue over mm-hmm. time. Um, the last one to note, though, so if LD16 Republicans are going to target to get that one back, mm-hmm. what they have to be mindful of is that they have a pickup that they weren't ex- expected to have in LD23, which is a human based district mm-hmm. that's a Democratic, heavy Democratic-leaning district. Mark Kelly won that by 16 points. Joe Biden won it by even more. So you're saying that Republican won in that district? Yes. So, so that's a, a Republican shot. vulnerability. That is, yep. It's been two cycles in a row, Joel John and then Pena mm-hmm. in this last cycle, were able to win a single-shot mm-hmm. effort in there. I suspect so each party is holding one one district they have no demographic right to hold. Right. So, that, so those will probably vulnerable. switch back. So mm-hmm. that will be a wash. Mm-hmm. So then it really does come down to, um, for the Senate, what happens in, in some of these other districts. I, lo- so, I love the way you did it. So watch <laughs> Corridor 101. That's where all the action is yeah, going to be. Exactly. Basically, all the way down the 101 is where, the, mm-hmm. where the, all the action will be in the legislative races. Let me switch broadly to uh, some of the other topics. I don't see... They're big issues, but I don't see a partisan divide on these unless you correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, Pessimism in the country. We certainly have that uh, across the board. You know, the Republicans are seeing a decline in traditional values. The Democrats see Trump, demise of American democracy and authoritarianism. So there's sort of everybody's upset, but they're upset about different things. That feels like a wash to me. Or it's two separate issues that have nothing to do with one another. But they both make people negative. It's really interesting. So uh, if you ask the Arizona electorate, about 35% would say the country's headed in the right direction. If you ask them about the state, it's generally about 40 to 44% with a fluctuation. But what was really interesting is following the 2022 election, before the election, it was 40%. But you had much more optimism among Republicans and much more pessimism among Democrats. And then as soon as the election happened, uh, Hobbs becomes governor, Democrats take mm-hmm. over. We see the optimism among Democrats rise significantly and the pessimism. And among they didn't all of a sudden get jobs that month. No. no. So this, so that what that suggests is this is just reflecting whether your guy's in power or not. It's not pessimism driving the electorate. It's it's who's elected driving the degree of pessimism. That, I, that's if, accurate. If, if my guy's not in, I'm not happy. Right. And that was we saw that flip almost happen immediately uh, after the Another huge issue. I just don't see partisanship on this. Water. So water is a huge issue. It's the second. We, immigration and education mm-hmm. for years have been the one and two issue facing the state. We have seen uh, education fall off pretty significantly as a top mm-hmm. issue because of the split that you, we talked about mm-hmm. sort of the, in concerns. We've seen water and concerns about groundwater, concerns about drought rise mm-hmm. significantly, particularly during this hot summer. The difference is uh, really 
you can win talking about water. It's a complicated issue and people don't want to talk about it. But you see Chris Mays having a lot of success with it as the attorney general Mm -hmm. and others. It's a winning issue. Voters care significantly about water. But who's against water? I mean, that I mean, unless you're, you know, seriously just invested in your support is heavily amongst, you know, agribusiness money because. What seventy five percent of our water is being used by agriculture, and unless you're seen as sort of anti city growth, well, there's certain Republicans that have certainly put their out there on this. On the other hand, Democrats talk a lot about climate change, and climate change, quite frankly, uh, whether you believe it or not, is a word that triggers a significant portion of the electorate. But you talk about drought, there is both near- ways, right? I mean, correct. I mean, it it just that seems to me long term that's a Democratic winning issue in that <laughs> look at the brutal summer we just went. If, if you were on the fence on climate change six months ago, just don't call it climate change. <laughs> okay, okay. So, uh, Fair don't point. call it climate change. Fair but point. more than seventy percent of our electorate does not think that the state has enough water mm-hmm. to last the next hundred years. Well, they're right. <laughs> so, and they are right. So their instinct is correct. Mm-hmm. The challenge is getting people to talk about it. I say you can win mm-hmm. on water, but nobody but, wants to but, do but, that. But they don't. Yeah, we think it's a but, but don't let it impact me. For example, uh, I think the average voter would say, "If you oh, we're gonna we're gonna you know restrict the use of we're gonna either take away your right to water your lawn or something like that. Uh, that's a problem. Oh, you're gonna raise the price so people use less. No, we don't want that either. In, in other words, we recognize there's a problem and we want somebody else to take a hit to fix but, it. But the issue is, eighty percent of our electives are already in an active management area, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the set forth in the 1980 Groundwater Code that mm-hmm. set forth you know monitoring, measuring, understanding how much water is being used. Residential in its current format is not the problem. It's other mm-hmm. uses, and quite frankly, it's unregulated groundwater in rural Arizona mm-hmm. where companies from Saudi Arabia and others can come and stick a deeper pipe mm-hmm. than anybody else and run the wells dry. And that's what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And there nobody is, wants that. Nobody and, wants but that. But the problem is whether or not we have the legal right to restrict that. No, the problem is there's a handful of people that don't want to address this issue at the legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the tool that's left is you can establish your own active management area, but you got to go to a vote for the people. But there are other management items that you can do. There's a handful of folks that don't want you to measure their water, don't want you to know how sure. much water they're using. Sure. But the fact they would the lose is, an election. <laughs> the, they, if they were to go to the ballot, if there was an issue to manage yeah. groundwater in the state, it would pass overwhelmingly. In the, in the context of uh, we all agree there's a water shortage, almost all of us, the idea that somebody can just pump like crazy and we don't even measure what it is. That's a loser. And net export it in the to yeah. is the form of alfalfa. Yeah, send alfalfa or to, to Saudi Arabia. No, right. no. But no. but there's a legal problem. Is that you know that you get into the land rights people and folks like that. Certainly, but at the same time, we've that we have a proven track record of the ability to measure and regulate groundwater in other areas. Um, the majority of the electorate who does live in metro areas, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, do believe that some sort of measurement, some something needs to be done to address some of these water issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm just trying to figure out where the opposition, the op, the the significant political opposition to that is only. It seemed to me a really small number of people are deriving direct economic benefit from um, from basically getting more than their share of water, and those are easy targets. They're not viable political 
opponents. But they have outsized influence in our primary elections. Yeah. They spend significant <laughs> money Absolutely. in our primary elections. And so they, uh, the, those, those groups, those lobbies have mm-hmm. a significant amount of influence. And so the challenge is finding a solution that everybody can buy into because the electorate's there. The electorate mm-hmm. wants to do something about water. It's creating the will from the elected officials to do that. Another one that's a big issue always, but I don't see where there's too much partisan divide, right? I don't see how there's a winner and loser on it. Transportation. You know, there's concern about growth and congest- uh, congestion, but uh, what did we see? Amongst Republican electeds, there's no love for mass transit is about the only thing, but nobody likes congestion. <laughs> so, so post-COVID, we've seen a significant uptick in concerns about congestion. What mm-hmm. we find is after sort of being getting used to having clear streets to drive mm-hmm. around, especially with our rapid growth, Maricopa County is the fastest growing county in the country. Uh, we have seen significant rises in concerns about uh, transportation and congestion. I've done significant polling in several metro regions when it comes to transportation investment, and they're overwhelmingly supported. People need and understand that we have to put more money in our streets. That's what's made our transportation system successful. Mm-hmm. The other thing, though, that Republicans don't want to hear but is true is transit's incredibly popular. When mm-hmm. it comes to whether it's bus or light mm-hmm. rail, um, that people recognize that its contribution to air quality, its contribution to reducing congestion, it connecting particularly vulnerable populations, students and seniors, allowing mm-hmm. them to get around. But the bigger thing is it's about a comprehensive proposal. Prop 400, the extension of that, which is the half-cent sales tax Mm -hmm. for Maricopa County, is incredibly popular. It's built the 101, the 202, the 303. It's helped fund the light rail system. Yeah, a pretty good argument. How would we live without those roads right now if we hadn't done this 20 years ago? And 40 years ago. I mean, the, the issue is... What we're talking about is folks that want to are in some part of the county, you know, where they need roads, looking at some other folks and saying they shouldn't get that what they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we when you look at and talk to each community about what they want in a plan that gives everybody what they want, mm-hmm. they don't worry as much about what somebody else is getting. And transit's an important part because what it does is it makes investments in places you couldn't put another freeway. You couldn't put another freeway down Central Avenue. The costs would be too great. Yeah. And so, so freeways are going in the outer areas. Right. And uh, that leaves, if there's any, you know, resentment maybe about Prop 400, it might be within Phoenix to say, all right, all these things are for the outer burbs. But what do we get? And I think the answer is transit. And the, they're the bulk of the taxpayers, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the the largest Phoenix is the largest city mm-hmm. and the largest number of taxpayers. They need to be made whole with investments. What mm-hmm. kind of investments they want is up to those local leaders. Mm-hmm. There's a unanimously supported plan by all the local leaders, and folks should listen to that because they've gone to their communities and understand what mm-hmm. those folks want. And so that's what this plan is: is putting the lines on the map so that everybody gets their their fair share of mm-hmm. the money and the investments we need to keep people moving. But bottom line question on I don't see this issue having a partisan impact. Do you? It it does a little bit. I mean, the issue is... Republicans, uh, certainly, as you talk about, have challenges among transit issues, but they're strongly supportive of investments in freeways and streets. Mm -hmm. And so putting a package together that does all of these things is incredibly popular. If you were to bifurcate it, which is one of the things they suggest, is Mm -hmm. take the transit and separate it. And they did that in the hopes that the transit part wouldn't pass. But the issue is the streets portion probably wouldn't pass either because Mm -hmm. you need the whole community. Because if you put the suburbs against Phoenix, Phoenix votes against what Mm -hmm. the suburbs want and the suburbs vote against what Phoenix wants. 
wants. And they both lose. And then they both lose. Yes. And that's the issue that they're not paying attention to. They just mm-hmm. think the thing they want, everybody wants. And so really, this is putting it all together for a countywide vote is what makes the most sense. Last question for you. And it's uh, one that I, I didn't prep you for. I hope you've got. I'm looking at the congressional district and I'm seeing two of them that are interested and in play. I think we'd agree on what those are. Uh, sure. I mean, I think the two that are probably the most vulnerable would be Congressional District 1, which is Schweikert's current district. Mm-hmm. He only won by 1%. That's vulnerable. <laughs> right. Especially in a Democrat. And he has have heavier duty opposition this time. And a higher quality candidates, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a Democratic year. They're going to spend a lot of efforts mm-hmm. in redistricting. Redist- District 1 was redistricted in a way so that Democrats can get another metro area. I think mm-hmm. that's number one. And then I, I think the other one is the Southern Arizona seat. Again, uh, here it was a hair breath election. Not expected to be as much, but... A lot of emphasis on Siskamani, though. I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of Republican money that's going to be behind them. The, the Congressional Committee is going to pour in a lot of race. Mm-hmm. I don't think Siskamani is as vulnerable as, say, Schweikert is. Mm-hmm. I think Schweikert is going to – that's a national attention race. I think mm-hmm. that was going to be one of the closest races we see in the country, and I think there will be a lot of money spent in that race. So once again, we're going to have some marquee stuff in addition to being currently one of five states that all of the prognosticators agree are the only five states that are absolute toss-ups. One of them's Arizona. Absolutely. We'll have you back again for sure. Fun times this year. No shortage of politics. Thank you, Paul Benz. It's fascinating. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next week in the Think Tank. If you want to reach me, I can be reached via the website, which is mikeoneal.org. And there is a mechanism there to reach me by uh, email or social media. See you next week in the Think Tank. Mm-hmm.